BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we got a few different topics that we're going to round up and cover. And it's going to be the spiritual aspects regarding some of the major events that have gone on, major media events. The most obvious one being the Super Bowl that just happened. Going to talk a little bit more He Gets Us and some of the other spiritual aspects of the super bowl as well that have gotten overshadowed by for obvious reasons and then i also want to talk about the putin interview which dropped last thursday uh just before a live stream but we have since both watched it i believe so there should be a fun interesting discussion regarding all things uh russia and we're going to relate the issue to christian nationalism if at all possible so uh with that said how are you doing tonight no, as well. I'm glad all's well's over there. Uh, not as well over here. Just like sickness just keeps lingering. I think I have a conspiracy theory, something about, you know, the more flu and uh, COVID stuff, therapeutics that, that they want to inject into people, the more sickness goes around. Although this one is a stomach bug. I haven't thrown up yet, but man. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to go away. I mean, I saw I saw a joke about how someone someone was like, "Oh, I've gotten COVID. I've had six shots and only got and still gotten COVID twice." And my joke was only twice. So I, I would have thought you'd get it a lot more if you had six shots. I mean, that seems pretty below average for the you know quintuple boosted. So. Anyway, uh, this is Evangelical Dark Web. Uh, One way you can support our channel is to head on over to our Patreon-like system at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. It's like Patreon, but we don't use Patreon because they censor. So we want to avoid big tech as much as is prudent to, which Patreon is pretty prudent to avoid, especially when we already have an online website and we can just kind of keep everything in-house. Why not? So that's what we did. We built our own system. No issues with that system. It has been checked and uh, good things going on there. But the least you can do is like this live stream, subscribe to the channel or podcast if you are listening afterwards on audio, if you are new. So with that said, uh, definitely the big thing going on is the He Gets Us commercial. And for good reason. This was seen by over 100 million people. And I know the Super Bowl uh, ratings are a little inflated because this is like the 
I believe this is the first year ever that the Super Bowl ratings include like sports bar calculations in, in it and stuff. So it's not just including people watching at their homes, which is why the ratings for all sporting events is kind of skewed right now. Like NBA regular seasons looking way better than it used to. And why is that? Because they fudge the numbers a little bit. So, but overall, I, I don't see any indication that this wasn't a widely, widely watched event. I'm just commenting on, you know, is it the most watched Super Bowl ever? I don't really know. Oh, got it. Uh, I don't think it is per capita, but, you know, if you adjust for population, I guess. But maybe the international audience has grown as well to compensate. But we're only focusing on American numbers because that's all that matters. Uh, so with that said, uh, he gets us big reaction, a lot of reaction. Mostly it's been, you know, people are kind of universally like cracking down on this. And you do see some. Uh, pushback among liberals, uh, especially on the evangelical Twitter sphere and all that. So they don't, they, they have a lot of good things to say. It was a Derwin Gray said that was a powerful ad and he's like a mega woke preacher. But there has been one interesting instance of pushback and that comes from Michael Knowles uh, over at the Daily Wire. And, you know, he's a, a papist, but so is Matt Walsh, who hated the ads. So yeah, Matt Walsh had a very what, what is good the What is the basis for a papist approving or disapproving anything? Is there any? Um, uh, I mean, I, that's why, I, that's why I, I chose to do it, just because it's like, okay, we I almost wanted to write about Matt Walsh versus Michael Knowles for this. But, I mean, uh, I mean no, or Walsh's arguments were fairly standard, though he talked more about the I guess he, I mean, he went very much into detail, I think on the significance of uh, foot washing, but his, his video is very good on that. And, but Knowles was kind of non-committal. Like, I guess, I don't know. It's just a weird thing about Michael Knowles where sometimes I just wonder if he's, so he kind of enjoys clown world a little too much. He and, revels in it is what you're saying, or. I mean, I think he isn't as, on edge as like a Matt Walsh is. I guess he kind of likes the levity, the joke and laughing at, I don't know, kind of like finding humor in a lot of it. I mean, that's kind of maybe his coping mechanism for living in like a clown world is. That, that does seem to be a little bit of the theme at Daily Wire. I don't know if the Lady Ballers theme or movie was exactly like that. And I'd like to actually watch that movie without paying for and uh, I think that was wire for it, but that also maybe related to his take on certain, you know, boring that was happening at a synagogue in a certain city. Like, I think he kind of just made more of a joke of it than, you know, the actual seriousness of that type of, of a story and what was happening in said tunnels. Uh, okay. So I think I there's, there's other too issues. Long to realize that you were making a pun there. Yeah. Boring synagogue, you know, and you're trying to get their fourth straight live stream demonetized. <laughs> and it's only uh, six minutes in. So uh, with that said, we do have the video of Michael Knowles on standby. If I, yeah, he called this video, the conservative case for the, he gets us commercial. And it and should be noted it. that last year, the story about he gets us was, basically the whole jesus is a rebel well yeah but everyone was talking about how lavish and basically how waste wasteful the expense was like people are just like you spent 20 million on this 
Like it, it could have gone to feed the poor. Okay, that is the vapid. Judas argument, though. Why well, not have just sold, you know use his money to feed the poor? Like that's a Judas argument, and that's really what you see from the liberals. A lot of like the liberals either say, "Hey, this was a powerful ad," or they're saying, "You know, so we should be selling this perfume and get, giving it to the poor." Well, I mean, it's not necessarily a Judas argument in light of the fact that of the poor quality of the ad. So it's not even like, okay, you had one shot, you spent $20 million on it, but it was but they didn't really spend high quality. The money on that. They didn't spend the money on the production value. So, I mean, it's, I mean, the, at least the perfume was quality and obviously, you know, it was cleansing Christ. It actually served like a utility for preparing Christ for the burial. So there's at least a, a utility there. I mean, but the quality of the ad was poor and the message was poor. So, I mean, you can't even claim like at least the perfume was quality. So you're not a fan of AI generated images. Someone said these weren't AIs. Like, nah, I highly doubt those weren't AI. Um, someone can take credit for that, but no way I'm buying that that but, wasn't But AI. last year, the whole story about it was what is this? Who's behind it? It seems like a waste of money and it's very vapid. This year, there are like people are really reacting to the ad itself and the content of the ad, not just who is the advertiser. Right, and that's definitely the case, and especially since it's ironic. The article that you wrote last year is just it took off this week, and Protestia decided to uh, curate it a year later. <laughs> I don't know if they curated it at the time. They uh, maybe they. Oh, so they're just doing a round two of curating this article. I mean, I posted it during the Super Bowl and it took off then. Uh, it's gotten a lot of compliments, so good work there. And then I followed up because certain aspects of the article are outdated. Like immediately after the article was published, Ed Stetzer went on to Biola University to be their dean of theology. So liberal drift at Biola confirmed uh, since they're allowing and tolerating that. And then... Uh, additionally, I talked about who's actually in charge of it now. And again, it, it's a pretty gay company and just everything involving he gets us is gay. I do have another lead on yeah, this type of, uh, trail, but we'll report on that when we report. I mean, cause the right original now. article for anyone that's read it, it's designed to take you through the sale, so to speak. It says who's behind it. Who created, who's the marketing team behind it? Who created the ad? Of course, then it goes into the theology of the ads itself, which, you know, I kind of linked to Ed Stetzer because obviously like, you know, when you're part of like the National Immigration or was it, Evangelical Association, which is very pro-immigrant, a lot of that theology seeps into the ads. And then it's just like, okay, what happens when you actually get to the site itself? Then they promote like their Bible study on version. So it's kind of just taking you through the sale of, you know, from, I guess, the originators of it. And then, of course, explaining some how the dark money behind it works with uh, David Green, because it's not like you has a David Green Foundation with funds that he uses the signatory, which is like a, which is a fund, a specific fund, charitable fund. Right. So that part has changed now because they have a new uh 501c3 to funnel money through i don't know if the greens are still involved with it uh it does seem to be an open question but i don't see why they wouldn't be involved with it like why not see what you started until 
it it's finished. But I imagine that this they still are. It's just they incorporated it probably under its own entity. But so that's what's going on uh, now. Uh, trying to see if we are uh, on Rumble. It doesn't appear that we're live on Rumble, but that's Rumble's fault. They wanted to beta test a static stream key, so if that's not working, that's on them. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I get tired of trying to enter in a different stream key and credentials each time I want to stream on Rumble. Uh, it's a pain in the butt. So, anyway, let's uh, get on to uh, Michael Knowles. Only conservative Christian in America who did not totally despise this ad. I know what you're thinking. You see this ad, especially if you're a Christian, and you say, oh no, they're promoting hippie Jesus. We all know this. We talk to our liberal relatives or some lib in our school or in our workplace, and they have never read the Bible. They don't go to church. They don't pray, but they have this idea of hippie socialist Jesus in their heads, and they they think that you're a hypocrite, and you don't know your own faith, and they say, well, do you know, actually, Jesus was a big hippie, and he would have voted for Democrats, and he loves lib stuff, and if you're a real Christian, you'll support killing babies and opening borders, and I know, I know all of that, and those people look at this ad, and they say, this ad is vaguely sort of not directly not explicitly but kind of promoting that vision of jesus and that's bad okay i didn't totally hate this ad so just a point of order you probably know more about michael knowles than i do like all i know about him is he's catholic but he's not matt walsh type of catholic matt walsh is kind of out there on his own in my opinion you know much about his like other you know specifics about what he actually believes i mean besides that he's like trad catholic you know like probably like a latin mass type uh not really i mean i um, think he i think he actually did maintain sexual purity prior to marriage i could be wrong on that so i mean he's, he's not like the guy that was a playboy and then became trad uh, and i maybe i've seen him talk a little bit about like the relationships stuff yeah, I figured like, you knew more about him. But than that. on a personal level, I really don't know that much. I mean, it's not like he's he's had two sets of twins like Matt Walsh. I mean, that's a little bit more memorable. Wow, impressive. Uh, they didn't. They you know, they they were prepared for twins the second time around. <laughs> so, or should I say the third and fourth time around? Uh, anyway, because it's in woke ease because it's written in this woke language, because the symbols and the signs and the whole language of the ad is for secular liberals. The ad is not for you. The ad is not for me. The ad is not for conservatives or Christians or conservative Christians. The ad is for secular liberals. And there is a risk to an ad like this. I didn't see anything in the ad that was explicitly heretical, necessarily. The closest it gets is that image of the abortion clinic and the woman washing the gal who maybe she's just had an abortion, maybe she's going to have an abortion, she's washing her feet, and there are the picketers in the background. But the the demonstrators outside the abortion clinic, they don't look angry. I gotta pause right there uh, because I'm gonna re I'm gonna retread that ground on what I said about that photo uh, shortly. But like I thought, the gay imagery was also pretty bad. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, he's going to try to make the case that it's not as bad as you think it is or that you're making a logical leap. But, I mean, keep in mind, his logic, is nothing about his Catholicism is going to impact his opinion. 
except maybe when he gets the hollow ad, which is at the end. But right, we're, everything we're, he says we're not gonna here. Continue on onto that section of this video. We'll cover the hollow ad separately. But everything he kind of says is gonna sound pretty much like a normie. A normie. He might even sound like very much like a big evangelical type, or even like a Tim Keller third way acolyte. So he's not going to make any arguments that are uniquely Catholic, but it is interesting seeing, okay, someone that's not necessarily in the, in the know about like evangelical subcultures, and this is how he would react to the act. So that is the interesting aspect well, of this. He's also talking about how, you know, Christians understood the ad exactly in the liberal way that it was meant to be interpreted. I would say it was meant to be interpreted. But wouldn't they also understand the ad in that way as well? Like how, like everyone's kind of seeing the same thing with the ad. Yeah, I mean, people except clearly, for Michael Knowles, people clearly see the abortion clinic. It's they just a question of is it good or not. That's the real dispute here. And we all yeah. saw the same message. I mean, his woke ease point does get worse as it goes on. So, so I don't want to talk too much about that until he goes a little bit deeper into it. They don't look cruel. It's, they're not exactly the liberal caricature of abortion protesters. They look a little apathetic, maybe. They're not, they're not paying attention to the woman having her feet washed, but they're not angry. They're not screaming. They don't have torches. They're just sort of in the background there. And says, Jesus didn't teach hate. So the, the conclusion that a lot of Christians are drawing is, well, the ad is insinuating that, that if you protest abortion, you're hateful. The, the ad is insinuating that if you uh, object to LGBT LMNOP style stuff, that you're hateful. I'm not certain that that's what the ad is saying. I think the ad is reaching out to secular liberals who have an aversion to Christianity and to Jesus and to faith and is trying to speak their language. And if that's all it does, I'm not totally opposed to it. And we'll get to my evidence that I'm right about this in just a second. First, though, right now go to genucell.com. Uh, we're gonna skip his ad. Uh, you wanna uh, showcase what he's gonna? Yeah, I mean, he's gonna try to say that the ad is kind of meeting people where they are, which I don't really like as a mantra. I mean, I kind of think you shouldn't meet people where where they are. You should try to meet meet them where they could be, so to speak. You know, if, I mean, there's multiple ways you might say this, but the like, I mean, I like what Steve Kim says: the standards you have for someone are are what you think of them. So if you want to actually elevate someone, then you should actually treat them like they're better than how they treat themselves, so to speak. The commercial isn't aspirational. No. Because first of all, it's calling for Christians to do the feet washing, sort of. It's showing that as a positive example of Christianity is washing, you know, we're kind of completely divorce the concept of foot washing from servant leadership and mutual loyalty. We're going to divorce that concept and just say Jesus watched feet, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people watching the Super Bowl, you know, Rex Ryan, they, they, they uh, love Tarantino loved the ad. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. He's probably watching. He might've been even at the game. So he might've missed the commercial, but you know, have. Rex, Rex Ryan, you know, that, that commercial might've spoken to him. Right. I mean, it is a thing like, but this is, this whole ad is basically a trope, like a big Eva liberal Christian trope of washing feet. Well, again, of who, washing feet. who's one of the people that works with the He Gets His campaign? Ed Stetzer. Uh, now, mm -hmm. how much has he worked with it under its new management? I'm not sure. 
Well, I would say he's more the theological framework than necessarily. I agree, because the Louisiane Covenant is basically the theology. That's their website orthodoxy. Right. And that's not an orthodox faith statement at all. It's pretty gay. It basically invents ESG uh, for the church before we even knew what ESG was a thing. And I'm not just saying that because it's way older than me. But anyway. Cousin who hates her dad is not going to read the Summa Theologiae set that you did not buy her, okay? Even if you did buy her one, she's not going to read it, okay? So I hear that's actually a pretty easy read. It's just kind of like a little bit tedious. But otherwise, you know, I I hear Thomas is actually pretty easy to understand. I have read excerpts from that work that he just referenced, and I cited in my upcoming book, Winning Not Winsome. Uh, It is cited on one occasion. If, if an ad can get some secular liberal, and that's who these ads are for, for even one second to even consider our Lord, to, to even maybe have some slight increase in affection for our Lord, I'm fine with it. You know, Joey Carrion, uh, when I made this point on Twitter, uh, Joey Carrion responded to me and he said, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is a good evidence of this. St. Paul writes, For whereas I was free to all, I made myself the servant of all, that I might gain the more. And I became to the Jews a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as if I were under the law, whereas myself was not under the law, that I might gain them that were under the law. To them that were without the law, as if I were without the law, whereas I was not without the law of God, but was in the law of Christ, that I might gain them that were without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I became all things to all men, that I might save all, and I do all things for the gospel's sake, that I may be made partaker thereof. From what I can gather about this ad that he gets this thing, it's funded by right-wing evangelicals. It's not totally clear, but it sort of seems like that. And probably those right-wing evangelicals have the same thought that St. Paul does. I'm not saying it's a good idea. This is not the kind of evangelism that necessarily is my style, but the idea behind it, the idea that you got to speak people's language, when they don't speak your language, you got to speak their language. When you want to go evangelize the Chinese, you got to speak Mandarin. You can't go and speak English most of the time. Maybe now you can because the Chinese all learn English in school because they have much better education systems than we do in most cases. But when you want to go speak to someone, you got to speak their language. Okay. So let's actually just. So this is where the. Recall last year's He Gets Us commercial with Jesus was a rebel. Like, whose language was that speaking? Jesus let his hair down too. Like, whose language is that speaking? Jesus well, left it all on the field. Like this is the this is him saying like Paul Paul should speak woke ease to appeal to the woke secular liberal progressive types. And to me that's that's not necessarily what that passage means. When Paul talks about becoming a gentile, like you know, obviously he says that the Jews want a sign and the Gentiles look after wisdom. Like to the gentile the idea of a resurrection might not have really mattered to them so much or the idea of a man coming out of a grave or being raised from the dead it might not have had as much significance to them so much as the wisdom and the necessity for it so that's why paul goes to athens he appeals to the the unknown god so he's appealing to the to to a lot of their superstitions he's appealing to wisdom like paul's an educated apostle like he's the guy that probably knew had a good grasp on greek philosophy i think he i think he cites even greek of greek poetry at some point in the 
in the New Testament, in one of his epistles. So he was well, well studied. So when he's becoming a Gentile, he's becoming like the best of the Gentiles, the best of. Well, he, like, he was from Cilicia. Yeah. So, but, which is so more of a Hellenized area than Judea yeah. or. But he's uh, exemplifying the best of their qualities, not the worst of their qualities. And when he's becoming a Jew, he's exemplifying the best of the Jew, of the uh, first century Jew, not the worst of it. Right. And I think Andrew Kostick kind of says a salient point here. Uh, I think Michael's missing the point that he gets his version of Jesus is not the real Jesus. So you aren't winning them to anything. Well, I mean, the, technically the, that those ads don't even like depict like a even stock image Jesus. So they don't, they just, they picked the Christian as being the person that washes the feet of the progressive liberal and, or in this, some, most of them being progressive liberal. I don't necessarily think the alcoholic is that, but, but I mean, he's saying that you should speak woke ease, but woke ease is a subversion of truth. So you're trying to basically subvert a subversion is kind of what he's saying. It's a tough call. Like to me, and I've been toying with the idea of like, what if there was a biblical version of a he gets us campaign? But at the end of the day, I don't think it could be well mar mass marketed, except maybe for a Super Bowl commercial. But I think it would be more effective to just target specific demographics uh, with a more effective ad targeting them and speaking their language and then just advertise those in their specific niches. I think that would be a much more effective way to do it. But he gets us as trying to, you know, broad brush and it just assumes society is a lot more woke and liberal than it actually is. If anything, there are elements in the church that are more liberal than the broader normie culture and society. Like normies have moved on, you know, Johnny Depp was found innocent. So a lot of the normies moved on from the Me Too movement. But a lot of people in Big Eva, nope, Me Too is their baby now. They, they, I mean, you still got a they lot adopted of Me Too. You still got people peddling like the Black Lives Matter critical race theory stuff. And again, the normies have receded from that, which again, would you know, you want to talk about 2024. That's a big boon to Trump because he doesn't have to deal with that backdrop of everyone having the guilt over, you know, St. Floyd dying. Patron saint of counterfeit. In, fa in fact, you know, they're probably they're probably praising the guy who had, you know, presumably his body weight on top of a youth. Uh, the other day at a at a parade in yeah. Kansas City. So, so uh, I don't know how much he has left to say because he's about to pivot to the Hallow ad, which we'll, we're going to pivot to as well. He does. He has a little bit more to say. All right. Because he parlays this idea. Okay. And even the abortion, the most controversial part of the ad, the, the abortion clinic. I think it serves a decent purpose. Would I've changed the image a little? Maybe I would have, but it serves a decent purpose. A lot of people allow their own personal sins to be an obstacle to acknowledging the truth before them. They'll know the truth. They'll know it's wrong to murder babies, but if they've had an abortion in the past, they'll say, well, I, if I admit this truth that I know, then I'm a murderer and I can't bear that and I can't live with that. So you, ha you, you have to make clear to them. You have to give them an off ramp. You have to make clear to them, no, no, no it, there is redemption for you. It's not all over. You, you actually, have, but in order to have that redemption, you have to acknowledge the truth. And the truth is that abortion is murdering a baby. A lot of people do this, especially when it comes to sexual sins, because sex is so close to our nature. They'll do it. You've got to give them an off-ramp. You have to 
It's not to say we excuse your behavior, go kill more babies, go do more weird sex stuff. But it is to say, this isn't the end of your life. It's all right. It's okay. You've been doing bad stuff. Just cut it out. Just cut it out and you'll be okay. Acknowledge the truth. Follow the truth. I, I, I Look, I'm not saying it's the greatest ad ever. It certainly is not. If it's a starting place, though, for even one lost lib to turn toward the truth and toward God, I'm okay with it. Now, there was a better religion. All right, I'm going to do the whole, if it just saves one life, which we've heard a lot over the last four years, right? Just saves one life. And I got to say, the opportunity cost still says we could have saved a lot more with a more effective ad. If that ad could save one soul, which I don't think it will, we could have saved more with a more effective advertising. Well, even God using, you know, literal excrement to, you know, uh, you know, save someone. So God's done stranger things than that for sure. Well, uh, he's trying to say that you got to kind of ease people into like people are very uptight with any sort of like sexual sin or, you know, obviously if they had an abortion or whatever, they're very uptight about that. So it's almost like you have to ease them in and give them that off ramp to like slow down into like a confrontation or a realization and like slowly ease them into it. And like a lot of these sins are not like slow down and ease your way into it. It's more like, yeah, I'm only going to have, you're going to have a hard once a week and not three times on the weekend. I mean, what it's more of a confrontation, especially since, especially for like an abortion, which is a one-time transaction. Like you're probably not doing that every day. You know, it's not like, um, I mean, it's not like a habitual sin, so to speak. If you're not going to come to the realization that you are a sinner, how are you going to come to the realization that you need redemption and an off-ramp from that? But I mean, even still, like the whole easing easing into a confrontation about sin, I mean, I don't, and this isn't to say you don't have tact in how you present such a con- confrontation or that, but the idea that you have to ease someone into it. I mean, sometimes the hardest truths are the best. I mean, obviously if you're Andy Reid in the locker room at the Super Bowl, you're probably not saying kind words to your teammate. You're probably, you know, lighting a fire under them. Yeah. Well, unless that, it's Travis Kelsey, of course, but nah, and he's the one lighting the fire under you. But uh, yeah, he was pretty smashed. Uh, he's kind of a reputational drunk and, I don't know if you think that that's going to be a fairy tale ending between him and Taylor Swift, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 That now that's dreaming there. So uh, we got some comments here. Uh, rare. Uh, Michael Knowles L from James Cook. I, I do want to kind of explore this comment a little bit more. The church's problem is not marketing. It's a leader. It's a leadership problem. You lost multiple generations because the average youth pastor lasted less than two years on their job. And, I don't know what the stats are on that, but it's not easy being a youth pastor in this environment. I'm not sure how much we should have youth pastors in general, because I I think family integrated worship is probably better for the longevity of, you know, the Christian young adult. Uh, They don't have a 
transition period where they don't know how to worship with adults? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I mean, there's a sense of, like the youth pastor was basically, you know, being groomed for the you know senior pastor whether yeah. at that same church or at a different church. So I don't necessarily know if that's a problem or not, but I mean, there's this sense. I mean, it no does one wants get, to be a youth pastor forever. I mean, it does go back to the, perhaps some of the stuff that Knowles is talking about where it's like you're meeting them where you are. And maybe that's one of the problems with a lot of church me- youth ministries. You're meeting them where they are and not where they could be. You're not trying to say, Hey, you know, if you, if you treat someone like they're intelligent, then maybe that person will be more intelligent. If you start feeding them a little bit more solid foods, instead of just giving them spiritual breast milk, then maybe they'll actually start to grow in faith. They'll actually mature in faith. Yes. They need a little bit more than colostrum. They, Uh, they need more complicated lessons than, you know, just doing uh, Peter's uh, three denials. It's ironic because part of the whole church growth strategy, you look at Rick Warren, we're going to meet you at rock bottom. And then when you get off of rock bottom, you're going to credit us for it. And you got a lot of people in rock bottom thinking that they're saved because they started attending Saddleback Church or they read a purpose driven life and stuff like that. Uh, So because they're no longer at rock bottom, when they go to a completely heretical church, they, they think that, you know, God is working in their life in the sense that they have the Holy Spirit. So there's a false sense of security, but I want to actually highlight the leadership question because to me, I think that's the biggest issue we have in the church right now is we don't have leadership. You know, Michael Knowles is a Catholic. Can you say that they have leadership? No. Uh, Eastern Orthodox bros, you you know, you're not really, I I don't think the based uh, trad Orthodox is as statistically viable as people on the internet make it seem, but there's not, clear cutting leadership in that uh area either and evangelicals also have a leadership problem because our leadership is like the republican party it hates its base it doesn't like the audience it has it wants the same people that he gets us wants it wants the cool kids you know the who society deems as cool it wants those people in church and not the people that are you know hillbillies or other southern white americans let's be real it doesn't want those people because it believes that those people are lame it wants the people that it can actually impress so i think that's an issue but here's my point about the idea of trying to advertise and do that he gets us right we need to get church attendance up and i think there's enough churches out there regionally that if you did something like this correctly 
you could get people in good churches as well. And keep in mind, he gets us openly stated that it's not even a get 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 out the church attendance campaign. You know, it's not like a get out the vote campaign for church attendance. And like they're open about that part. Very open. And they work again. They're also very gay affirming. If you look at the screenshots from their chat, which people thought that that was unethical to catfish. Uh, if you could call it catfishing, he gets us. I wouldn't necessarily call it catfishing, but, you know, it's just. You're going undercover. So I don't think it's bearing false witness to go undercover in that sort of way. Uh, I've gone undercover before with the uh, video on the, that uh, the last example being the side B theology lecture where they wanted to bring more gay pastors in the church. What was the name again? Jazz milk or something or yeah, something like that. Uh, so uh, anything else to say about he gets us? Because I don't think the I think the reception has been pretty universal. Like we know exactly what they're saying. It's just a debate about whether it's good or not. And Michael Knowles is. I think he makes a pretty weak case. And yeah. again, going back to the picture at the clinic that they have there, the artistic imagery is that the foreground is good and the background is bad. Uh, so yeah, the people in the background are juxtaposed with the person washing the presumably post-abortive mother's feet i mean it is a, a, there's a juxtaposition visually there it, it's important to realize that the people that created this campaign think christians are the problem with christianity and that's essentially what the that's essentially what big eva elites think is that oh it's you know the people in the pews are the problem with with christianity they're the reason that more people aren't following jesus is because they see those people and they hate them and therefore they hate the lord so I that, mean, there's that Gandhi quote that the, a lot of atheists tap into. It's like, I like their Christ. I don't like the Christians or whatever. But Gandhi was a pedophile. <laughs> like, why do you, why are you taking someone, a religious objection to Christianity serious, rooted from someone who slept with his own grandnieces or whatever, naked? So he, he liked to sleep with post or prepubescent girls naked. Like, why are we taking Gandhi serious at all? So anyway. Uh, I do want to move on to the Hallow commercial, which is also pretty interesting. So I have a lot of thoughts about this one. And if uh, we're sharing it, right? Yeah. So I have some thoughts about this commercial. And at first I kind of, I kind of liked it. So but then there's an obvious reason why I don't like it. Like, and when I say I like it, I'm not like a Lent supporter. I don't do Lent, but as a game recognized game, you know, game recognized game, this was a good advertisement, right? Up to a certain point. Then I really did. I actually it. did like the ad, even though I, you know, obviously have sus reasonable suspicions about ho hollow as an app and a company. So, but yeah, the okay. ad's good. Well, we'll talk it's about quality. that in a second. It's quality for norm. God, we take this moment just to give you thanks. We thank you for this time to come together as a family, as friends, and as a country. Help us, Lord, especially this Lent, to grow closer to you. Amen. Join us in prayer this Lent on Hallow. Stay prayed up. So 
So obviously the issue that I had with this ad was Jonathan Rumi, you know, because uh, he makes a remark about growing closer to Lord, you know, he says the word Lord and you know, it's on Jonathan Rumi because he plays Jesus on the chosen. So I think they're trying to do an obvious connection. Like he's the imagery that they want people to associate Jesus with. And I kind of see right through that. So that soured me on the ad. I mean, I did a whole thing on the whole Jonathan and Jesus, which is like a docu docu-series on, on Amazon. And yeah, it's like the guy enjoys playing Jesus a little too much. And, you know, he can't just be like a normal guy about it. He kind of plays up the role and he acknowledges, yeah, I'm not trying to be Jesus. But, you know, people look at me and they see Jesus, which is. I want to find so it, but I know I've seen screenshots of him affirming homosexuality. These are like from 2019, I think, but that's, yeah. you know, I never did that in 2019. So, but I mean, as far as Mark Wahlberg, he's, you know, excellent. In the I, ad. I like Mark Wahlberg. He is doing the whole stay prayed up thing, which he he's done on a lot I of like the other hollow well. ads. I, that's good messaging. But, you know, that's speaking your language. That's speaking the language of the people that the ad is trying to target. Stay prayed up. It's so youthful where, vernacular. I like it. So whereas like he gets us as being very affirmational, it's pretty much affirming people, which is basically I in the article I say that that uh you know the post postmodern secular liberal wants to be affirmed. And that's what he gets us does is basically they affirm people, whereas the hollow app actually is more aspirational. Like you kind of see the image, it's appealing to tradition, it's appealing to high school football, the military, that what looked like a Thanksgiving. It was very you know. MAGA. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, very MAGA. But it, it's appealing to America. It's appealing to your broader culture. It's actually appealing to and something it's that's desirable. High culture with religion. Yes. So there's that subtle association. That, again, that's going to have far more of an impact on people than. They add that. I mean, game recognized up. game. I thought the, I thought as an advertisement, it was very effective. I just do, I am very anti chosen. Like, I think the artistic merits of the TV show are terrible, and pe not enough people agree with that because people like, uh, I, like I don't understand the artistic merits. If you watch good television shows, if you watch Better Call Saul, and then watch an episode of The Chosen you're going to be bored out of your mind. It is, it does not hold a candle. The only reason that people think this is good television is because of the Jesus angle. And that's it. But it is not, it is a below average show. There's an average show. Like, you know, you can take an average show like Friday night lights or whatever. The chosen is significantly worse than that. It is all melodrama and, effeminate nonsense and i'm not i'm not here to watch grown men talk about their feelings that sounds like a terrible tv show why because i'm a guy and it is a terrible tv show let's be real so but that's what modern writing is is like you're trying to get people to talk about their feelings but that's my chosen rant for now i don't know if you had anything to add on that i mean i mean that's pretty much why putin isn't very emotional when he talks about war because he's not a woman like he did kind of make he's that a, comment with uh, Tucker Carlson, but we're not there yet. We're, we're not, not there yet. I did think of it. Uh, so, 
I like what Pete B's doing, stirring the pot with this comment. Not doing Lent is what got us into the whole do what you feel like liberal state. Now, one of these days I'm going to seriously consider or look into the whole Lent debate, but I think I've already missed the boat on that. Like, you know, you're supposed to give up something that you enjoy that's not sinful for 40 days is my understanding as a, you know, you're denying yourself a little bit and, is I, I mean, I would I gather strongly disagree. I mean, I, I obviously, like, if you think of what it, what it means to be puritanical, the Puritans weren't exactly adherents to Lent. They're probably strong, strongly the opposite in anti-Lent and even anti-Christmas because they associated it with a lot of debauchery, which would have been evident. In, like, I might also add that a lot of Lent celebrators aren't exactly theologically orthodox, if we're being real. Uh so, and also, I mean, I can make the argument of having the the ash mark on your face. You know, it goes against the teachings of Christ. Uh, talking about when you pray, go up into a silent room. But uh, yeah, for most, and black bear is also making a reference to Matthew six. By the way, Jesus did say, "When you fast, not if you fast." Uh, but you can fast internet as well. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so those are my thoughts on the whole. Uh, the Lent topic. I might write an article on Lent, just kind of going over its history within evangelicalism or Protestantism, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm a pretty busy guy when it comes to writing articles. I don't get to write opinion columns as much as I used to. Uh, so maybe someday. Not a Lent guy, but I did like the ad, and I like Mark Wahlberg. So I, I do like Mark Wahlberg. I think. I I think there is evidence that he's serious about his faith. And I can't really say that about a whole lot of other internet Christians out there. Kanye West, I don't know if you've heard about him lately, but he's apparently released a blasphemous album that calls himself the new Jesus and stuff like that. Along that I with, have heard. you know, the dude loves himself a Jezebel, if you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, he went yeah, he from does. one porn star wife to making his new wife uh, you know, posting her pics online and stuff like that. So he was all about modesty and stuff like that uh, for an album or two, but he's back to old Kanye and even worse. And he bowed down to the Jews, by the way. I think there's a connection between him bowing down to the Jews and him putting out a, a blasphemous album. But, you know, you decide. So... Uh, next topic on the docket, because I don't want to go too long tonight, is the Putin interview. So your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was good. It was good workplace listening. I mean, getting a 40 minute lecture on Russian history, I thought was rather fascinating that even though I can't necessarily retain a lot of the information simply because, you know, I'm not too familiar with, the, I guess, the every single river in Europe and a lot of the geographical locations i mean the general gist of this long historic tradition and rivalry and kind of like russia's historic interactions with what is i guess ukraine i think obviously he talked about poland as well so i mean a lot of these this historical claim that he's making uh, it, to justify the i guess incursion into ukraine and of course a lot of his western the western aggression i mean it was just a fascinating i guess lesson in geopolitics uh, yeah, just to summarize Putin's long lecture on Russian history, he basically says that 
uh, the Russian ethnicity was inseparable from the Ukrainian ethnicity. So there's an inseparability between those. They're linked. They have common ancestry, common culture. And this all changed um, basically when uh, it moved from Kiev to Moscow or Novgorod and stuff like that. Uh, and then he basically credits the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which most Americans don't even know that ever existed. Uh, but yeah, you say that and it's just like, what is this? Wait, what? Poland and Lithuania, uh, they worked together back? Yeah, they, they were a band back in the day. And I believe they were a band when America was founded. They were a contemporary of America's revolution. Uh, that would obviously be in their later stages. But that being said, the gist of his argument was that the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, in order to subjugate the people in modern-day Ukraine, tried to de-Russify them. And that was his argument for, you know, the idea that there's a Ukrainian people group is fake. And that's basically Putin's argument. Uh, I, I found it interesting when he talked about Russian history and the dude did not like the Bolsheviks at all. Uh, it's kind of a sentiment and understanding that the Russians don't look fondly on the Bolsheviks at all. Like they don't like the Bolsheviks. Uh, they do like some aspects of what Russia did during that time. Like they're very patriotic about world war two, very patriotic about that. And if anything, the you know, Hitler might've saved the Soviet union, I think in terms of their morale and ability to stay together. I think it's very possible that he did that. I mean, I'm not sure he, I don't think he mentioned it, but obviously like the Bolsheviks came to power. I think they, they'd run, they'd operated like six, I guess rebellions before they finally took over Russia because you know what they didn't necessarily succeed on their first try. At first, you don't succeed. Try again, right? And so uh, again, he does. He basically said that you know he hated Lenin in that interview. He said for some reason, and he was very diplomatic about that for reasons beyond my understanding. Lenin went and did this, and he said a couple of things like that at once. So he didn't like uh lenin at all he had less negative things to say about joseph stalin but he did criticize well, stalin a lot or he gave stalin a, at least one heavy dose of criticism in that interview as well well i mean I he doesn't look fondly on that and then obviously putin does not like gorbachev at no. all uh you know he views him as a failed leader who let the Soviet Union fall apart when it didn't necessarily have to. It could have been reformed, it, I guess, would be his mentality. But it was pretty interesting to hear that perspective. Uh, Comrade Putin needs to talk about uh, need to talk about Stalin working with Hitler, and he did talk about the Rubentrop uh, Molotov Pact, right? That, that's that was a German's name, Rubentrop. Yeah, uh, he did talk about that, and he talked about how Poland. Uh, fell into the same trap that they wanted Czechoslovakia to fall into against the Russian interests. So I, I thought it was a pretty interesting perspective on history. Doesn't mean I agree with everything he said. Obviously, there's some things in World War II that are a little shady uh, because you got to recognize the villainy, the absolute villainy of the Bolsheviks. Uh, well, I mean, it's you, and there's a reason why Ukrainians were supporting the Nazis. There's a reason. For yeah, that. I mean. 
whole, you know, you massacred a bunch of them. Well, yeah, the the... State imposed famine. I mean, there's a difference between how the Russians might view Stalin versus how they would view the Bolsheviks and the or the whole communist regime. So how they, I mean, if they view Stalin as the guy that kept the trains running on time, they're going to think a lot more fondly of him. Well, Stalin than they would necessarily was his pretty party. into uh, architecture. He tried to make communism seem. And I don't, I don't know I if you saw the. Tucker follow-up where he's just like, yeah, look at the train. This is a train station in Russia, and it looks absolutely immaculate and classy on the inside. It doesn't look like a place where anyone would take a dump in a public space. He did say – he also came out today and talked about their grocery stores. Yes. And it's like apparently Tucker Carlson has never been to Aldi, which is a German company, by the way, where they do the coin for uh, – uh, Shopping carts. Shopping yeah. carts. Sorry. I don't go to grocery stores much, uh, but I, I know I've been to an Aldi before because I'm working class here. Uh, but I, I do a lot of Instacart because, you know, I got kids and I don't feel like going out and I, I value my time. Uh, I'll be I'll, I'll be honest. So, but. You know, so I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, we have that in America. But then he talked about how, you know, everything's a quarter of what it costs in America. But people are like, but their purchase, but their salaries are like one fifth the average American, which I kind of think is not the art. That's not the flex that you think it is. I think, first of all, you're pointing out that America is massive inflation. And then secondly, I would like to highlight that how much seed oils are in Russian food. You're trying to say not a lot. I don't think other You're countries trying to say that they oils have, like we do. They have better quality ingredients. I, I'm saying they don't have intentional poison in their food as much. Well, and keep in mind. They might in, have unintentional or incompetent poison in their food. I mean, he's but. in Moscow. He's not in Siberia or even outside out, outside of Moscow. Moscow is considerably like the expensive part of Russia. So presumably, you know. That, might have more amenities. For but sure. if that's what he's saying as far as what Russian grocery uh, looks like then it's probably like the better like you know it would probably be like going to i don't say like the whole foods or the wegmans but going to like you know the wealthy area like you know going to like a relative to russia yes like that because moscow is is like an expensive city to live in relative to like the rest of russia and even like within the world because you got a lot of billionaires that live there or so I thought that was pretty interesting and people were trying to flex on that. I'm like, I'm not sure that's the flex you think it is now. <laughs> that's a good joke. Uh, Yelmaw says that he interviewed Doug Wilson while he was in Moscow. And uh, Doug Wilson got a strange endorsement from Bill Crystal, if you remember who that is. Like, total never-Trumper because he said Moscow, Idaho is better than Moscow, Russia. It's like, wow, strange Doug Wilson endorsement there. Uh, so, I mean, uh, but he did pick up... Grocery stores are not how they used to look like. I saw East German grocery stores. They were bare. I mean, that always was the thing where communism didn't offer the amount of choices. You could have like, you know, 20 different brands of toothpaste in like an American grocery store versus Russia, which has maybe four. So that was like the, that was, that used to be like the stereotype. Not if you go to Aldi, then you got like two, which is again, shopping carts with coin slots in them. It's like, Tucker Carlson never been to Aldi before, but again, yeah. it's one of the reasons why they're cheaper is because they have limited options. 
So uh, anyway, uh, and Formos and Black Bear says, go to Tokyo or Singapore and compare with Beijing and Moscow. I really would not want to go to Beijing. Uh, but I, I've heard very good things about well, I mean, uh, Tokyo or Moscow or Singapore. But I mean, I did see it said that like those cities are at least clean, which you know you can't say about any major American city. Like the Aldi Japanese, is cheap, but it's you know it, again, it's cheap. But well, I don't know. Is it cheap? cheap? Is it right cheap in Europe, <laughs> or is it just like regu a regular grocery store? No, it's cheaper than grocery stores in the United States. No, I mean, like, go, is, it, is it? It's the cheap brand here, but is it the cheap brand over there? I don't know. They have some pretty good name brand stuff. Not all of it, but a lot of it is. Yeah, you know, they got some quality there. It might not be the. It's better than like second tier brands. Well, no, and but, but than what I'm asking is, it, is it the same market segment in Europe as it would be in the United States? Yeah, if, is or it, is it going like, to their Wegmans? Like, or is it the KFC? Whole Foods? Is it like KFC Australia or is it KFC America? Is pretty much what I'm asking. Right. So. I thought that that was a pretty interesting aspect. I like the history part. And part of what fascinates me about this interview is that Americans are, this is completely foreign to Americans for multiple reasons. We don't get high level discussions about historical justifications for war. We get sound bites about yellow cake uranium and something about the Taliban doing 9-11. And, you know, we have to support democracy. We get stupid arguments whereas he's you know crafting a, a historical 1200 narrative. year narrative and keep in mind victor victor Roots. orban does the same thing with tucker carlson where he's talking about a thousand years of of hungarian history right when he talks about his country so apparently that's like an eastern european thing where they they flex on on their history they you know they'll go through they they can and, go back a thousand years if you've been around a long time why not uh, I think Hungary has a pretty underrated history. Now, if you're, I think certain nations have an overrated history. Uh, but uh, those are, you know, I, I'd say Greece probably has an overrated history. Just because I'm a Spartan disrespecter, like, sorry, I, I don't think the Spartans were that great at all. And, you know, but they got, when they had Macedon, when Alexander, when Philip took over uh, the, uh, the peninsula and all that that's when greece got serious for me uh my opinion of course but well and i do like i mean since we're going into but greeks can't go that far no since back because the greeks only rediscovered their heritage in the last 200 years well since we're going into alexander the great i mean that's what putin's answer was when when he was, when Tucker keeps asking him, why don't you go for peace? Why don't you try to negotiate for peace? And Putin's answer was, I was essentially something along the lines of, why am I going to, why am I going to, already mine. yeah, why am I going to negotiate what's already mine? If my enemy makes a mistake, I'm not going to tell him that he's making a mistake. He can come back when he finally realizes that he make, made a mistake. If America thinks, oh, we made a mistake. If America makes a mistake by walking away from the negotiating table, why is Putin going to chase after them to get them back to the table? To I mean, I, I think 2024 is going to be the year where Ukraine's going to fall apart defensively. Now, I think the Russians are just going to be very slow and methodical in their advance. They're not going to rush it. Uh, 
no pun intended there, but they're they're not going to rush an offensive. I don't think because they know that once the money and the weapons dry up for Ukraine, their army is going to fold in half. Why have the high casualties uh, doing a rushed offensive when you can just wait, wait them out, grind them. And they're going to run out of troops. They're going to run out of weapons. They're going to run out of money to pay their politicians pensions that apparently America was dumb enough to give them. Yeah. We're so. going to pay them pensions on a government that collapses and what happens to that money when it's gone. But yeah. It, but Putin made it very clear that all the neocon wet dreams about him invading Poland are nonsensical, which I think he's, you know, maintain that throughout the entirety of it, that he has no intentions of invading Poland. In fact, the only ca Polish casualties in this war were inflicted by Ukraine, right? Uh, Yelimov points out the average age of a soldier in Ukraine is 43, I think. I think they've already lost. I don't know if it was much. the average age or was it the average new recruit. But yeah, yeah, they, they're running out of, like their prime male, military age male is basically... I don't want to say decimated because that's being destroyed in increments of 10. I think they're, you know, maybe 10% of what they were. So yeah, if, if you want to do like the population tree of a Ukraine, you know, males in military age are like drastically reduced. Uh, and it didn't have to be that way. It's not like the terms of surrender would have been harsh. They would have been good for the Ukrainian people to have, not adopted the gay mentality of the United States foreign policy ambitions. I mean, so. it would be good for the Ukrainian people to have someone that's Ukrainian ruling over them and not Zelensky. Yeah. You know, you know what's ironic about Zelensky is he's a native Russian speaker. Now, he's not ethnically Russian. I'm not really sure I'd no. consider him ethnically Ukrainian either. But he's a native Russian speaker, and Ukraine went to great lengths to pass anti-Russian laws. Now, these laws aren't just anti-Russian. They're also anti-Hungarian and anti-Romanian as well. Because, as Putin it's... pointed out, that you know he had a road trip in the 1982 or something like that to Ukraine and saw people speaking Hungarian. Like, like let me tell you about a trip I took. And he actually talked. He actually kept a brief story in there. Even though he started out the internet saying, or starting out the interview saying, I'm going to take 30 seconds or maybe a minute to talk about why and then takes like 20 but uh I, I thought it was pretty interesting obviously when we had charles haywood on here he talked about hungarians being trapped in ukraine uh and then being conscripted to fight a war that they don't support because they don't support the idea of a ukrainian state they'd much prefer to reunite with hungary and this also applies to romania and apparently, Vladimir Putin has not talked to Viktor Orban about revanchist ambitions. But I, I think the solution here is simple. You take Ukraine and you partition it between Russia, Hungary, Romania, and the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And I think that kind of solves the issue. So, my thoughts. I mean, eventually the regime will collapse and then Russia gets all of it. So that's And why that's all they need to, they can just outlast the American support. 
Americans already, the tide has already turned on America supporting Ukraine. Now, I never supported Ukraine, but, you know, there was a time when the NPCs all supported Ukraine after all supporting lockdowns and stuff. So the tide has turned now because it takes about 19 to 21 months for the truth to become a relatively mainstream narrative in the country. And I, I came up with that during the Russia hoax on Donald Trump. Like it took like 19 months, 19 to 21 months for that to be exposed with COVID. You saw a lot, you know, 19 to 21 months is kind of an accurate timeline in Russia, Ukraine. I think, yeah, 19 to 21 months. Uh, yeah. The support for Ukraine is dwindled. Uh, the Republican party voters don't support Ukraine at all. And that shows in the fact that Nikki Haley can't even win when Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis aren't even on the ballot. None of the above beats her handily. So uh, the war stops when Ukraine joins NATO. It's like you can't join an alliance when you're in the middle of an active conflict. And oh, well, NATO actually allowed them to join Crusader Kings 3, or not Crusader Kings 3, Stellaris is more accurate to not being able to join a military alliance or a federation while in an active conflict. So, so paradox interactive games. So, I mean, yes, you can, but at the same time, historically, that's a rarity. Like you're not, unless you're marrying or something like that, not, no one wants that. So I don't think NATO is going to let Ukraine in. I think Hungary is going to put the kibosh on that. I think other nations are going to put the kibosh on that. Uh, but I don't, I don't see that happening during a war. America doesn't want it because I don't think we're serious about fighting Russia. But I, this is just a fight that we're picking and we have nothing else going on right now because we withdrew from Afghanistan disastrously. So this is our thing. So as soon as it stops being our thing, we'll move on. I mean, I, I would think at the if something like that were to happen, then that's when you might see a you know a Taiwan invasion. Which again, I'm pretty open about. I don't think Taiwan gets invaded because China can wait out the Taiwan Taiwanese regime, or you know just subvert it. As Those they, are demo uh, they're more demo de democratic. So well, I mean, if you run ads like the "He Gets Us" campaign in Taiwan, then yes, USA gets us and it's, you know, washing gay people's feet, then yes, Taiwan will naturally shift into the arms of Beijing because they don't want to, they don't want that in their country. And that's all, that's all China has to do is just say, Hey, look, this is what America is going to do to you. And Beijing all, all of a sudden seems like normal. So I want to focus on one aspect of this interview that I think we can speak to better than other uh, channels. And that's the religious aspect, the Christian nationalism angle. And I kind of want to ask the question, is Vladimir Putin a Christian nationalist? So this is kind of where I want to go next with the uh, question here. Is Vladimir Putin a Christian nationalist? So here we go with, this was an interesting clip out of the Tucker interview. 
for religion in general, you know, it's not about external manifestations. It's not about going to church every day or banging your head on the floor. It is in the heart. And our culture is so human-oriented. So, so do you see the different. supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world now? Do you see God at work? Do you ever think to yourself, these are forces that are not human? No, to be honest. I don't think so. My opinion is that the development of the world community is in accordance with the inherent laws. And those laws are what they are. It's always been this way in the history of mankind. Some nations and countries rose, became stronger and more numerous, and then left the international stage, losing the status they had accustomed to. It seems that there has never been anything like the Roman Empire in the history of mankind. Nevertheless, the potential of the barbarians gradually grew as did their population. In general, the barbarians were getting stronger and begun to develop economically, as we would say today. This eventually led to the collapse of the Roman Empire and the regime imposed by the Romans. However, it took five centuries for the Roman Empire to fall apart. The difference with what is happening now is that all the processes of change are happening at the much faster pace than in Roman times. So that's a clip from the Tucker Carlson interview. He's not actually talking. I don't think he's actually talking about Roman history. I think he's actually just talking. He's Roman Empire. Yeah. But, he, yeah. He's alluding to the United America. States. He's talking about the America, the global America. This is, if this were a TV show, this would be called subtext. Like he's talking about Rome, but he's really talking about America. That's some pretty advanced subtext. And the Russians are I mean, it's the... a little bit of the nose, or it's pretty easy to see, but this I is... I mean, it translates well. Pretty good subtext that he put in there. Very coherent. Uh, well, yeah, so... he's basically saying your time on the world stage is up. You know, normally these things take a lot longer, but you guys are basically doing it in like a matter of decades. But... Let's talk about the religious angle. And Vladimir Putin is a pluralist. He's not a Christian exclusive kind of guy. He's, you know, he's very respectful of Islam as a religion, which as a Christian can't really abide by that. Now, I don't believe he believes that Christ is the only way to heaven. I think that's a kind of an issue in Russian Christianity is the exclusivity of Christ is not exactly something that translates well is not really widely believed in that part of the uh sphere so i don't think Christ, uh vladimir putin is a christian nationalist it'd be cool if he were but he's clearly not i mean i always uh thought of him more as like a secular traditionalist where he appeals to like a lot of the russian heritage the russian tradition um, obviously there's an answer in there. He gives eventually, I'm not, it's not in that clip, but it's probably somewhere around that time where he talks about how the Russians are more spiritual people than the Americans, because they have more of a higher mind when it comes, when it, when I guess regarding the supernatural, I think that's how Which I don't works. think it's true at all. I don't, I don't think that's factually true at all. I mean, maybe uh, this is a nation. yes and no. Maybe I, in a hundred years. No, I, I kind of thought he was referring more to like a collectivism. So if he's thinking like this idea of like, you know, you think of something greater than yourself. Yeah, maybe Russians do have that simply because they're just more of a collectivist culture, similar to a lot of Eastern cultures. 
So that's kind of what I thought he was referring to, but obviously how he words it might in his, like what he says and how he thinks might not exactly translate like that into English, into an American context, because we're very materialistic. We're very individualistic. So that's how I think he could draw that assertion. I mean, Russia is a pretty interesting nation. Uh, you have the Christian czar family murdered by Jews, uh, and they were, they were occupied by Bolsheviks for 80 years. So it's a pretty interesting yeah, I mean, history very... that they are recovering from. Like They are recovering from the massive abortion rates under the Soviet Union. They're recovering from the poverty subjected to them by communism. And much of the low religiosity is a result of a communist regime. You see that in East Germany compared to West Germany. Now, it's not like any, I don't know what part of Germany has ideal religiosity. But this is a thing that you see in Eastern European nations, low religiosity as a result of communist oppression. And in Russia, they're not an exception to that. So I think they're probably trending in a better direction, but slowly. And perhaps Putin could do a much better job at trying to do that. But uh, yeah, is he a Christian nationalist? The answer is no. But he is probably a natalist, which, you know, is because I mean, Russia would be on the brink of a demographic collapse. Yes. So he is, Trump, which again, qualities. like Victor, Victor Orban would also be natalist because he wants to, He, I mean, you don't have to pay taxes or maybe it's women don't have to pay taxes if they have four kids. Like if America had that, how many more people would say, hey, you know what? We can we can work on another. You know, if you if you could have four kids in America and not pay income tax, a lot of Americans would decide, hey, look, let's uh, let's get to work. Well, let's so, get to work um, for sure. I, I actually don't think a lot of Americans would because they well, no, but they actually be too selfish to even consider that. I think they don't want a lifestyle change, so I, I might push back on that. So. Uh, that said, let's catch up on some chat here. Uh, Putin gets us. <laughs> well played. I mean, one criticism I did see of the interview is that he didn't go into like, you know, right wing talking points. But again, I thought he was that he didn't do that. He didn't just feed us what we wanted to hear. It was much more interesting as a result of him not saying you guys transition children. Yeah, I mean, that would have just been boring. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him maybe drop a little bit more, you know, dirty laundry of like, like, cause he did with the, you talked about uh, Bill Boris Clinton, right? Well, Bill, Boris Johnson. Johnson. Uh, oh yeah. Boris Johnson got, I'm talking like dirty, dirty, like that was some dirty uh, laundry. Roasted in that. Not, not necessarily. Now that's something we kind of already knew though, but he just said it out loud. Yeah. Uh, Pete B says Putin had too many cringe Ukrainians or Nazis rants. Now, Again, there is a, dis a nuance here that, as an American, I still don't understand. I've looked into this a lot. Uh, they mean something different when they drop the N-bomb. They mean something different. And yeah, I mean, they... It sounds very cringy to an American. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, you know, the Russians and Germans were two people that were pitted against each other for centuries, and World War II was the ultimate culmination of that. So when he talks about, you know, the Nazis, he's referring to pretty much the German people, like a people that were essentially trying to destroy Russia. 
And obviously the Russians were trying to destroy Germans, which is not something he's going to say. And the Bolsheviks were especially trying to destroy Germans. Bolsheviks were also trying to destroy Russians, but the Great Patriotic War kind of, I think, bought them some time. So basically when he says Nazis, he's talking about people that were, I guess, just Enemies of Russia. Enemies of the Russian But it's kind of his boomer con moment in a way because it's like, you know, that you're appealing to a nostalgia, but he's also rooted this nostalgia in a much deeper history than your boomer con would or your neocon. I mean, he's not just, it's not Godwin's law for him. I mean, that's yeah. It's like, a little bit above that. Oh, I'd say it's miles above Godwin's law. Godwin's so, law is like pretty interesting. Uh, Yellowmouth comment here. We're more like the Byzantines to England's Rome. Now, interesting comparison. Cause Vladimir Putin clearly didn't view the Byzantines as Roman uh, when he talked about that, which I thought is pretty interesting because a lot of that, you know, they would have considered themselves Eastern Roman, but obviously we call a lot of us call them the Byzantine Empire, but they would have considered themselves Eastern Roman because Eastern Rome didn't necessarily fall until arguably 1204. But then, you know, a lot of complicated history. And then they fell officially, I believe, in 1453 to the Ottomans. So, but yeah, you know, most people don't know history. So history maxing, uh, John Doyle did a pretty good video on this. Yeah, I, like I don't know it. if you watched that, uh, but I thought he did a pretty good video on this. I I'd recommend that for future, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, content, I guess. Uh, any other, uh, chat on the interview? Actually, so let's talk about Tucker Carlson for a second. So Tucker Carlson got a lot of crap for, you know, you got to stand up for this American journalist who was caught spying in Russia, which I, I kind of, you know, you play the game, you win or you die type of mentality. And that's kind of what that guy did. Uh, and Tucker Carlson did cape up for him. I mean, I thought, I thought that was it. very admirable. That but he did and then. Putin's like he got his hand. He was caught red-handed in the cookie jar. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think majority of Americans or even majority of the people that were interested enough to watch that interview know anything about that story. So it's it's kind of irrelevant. It is because you're not arguing about Brittany Griner in a male prison somewhere. You tried to smuggle drugs. They're actually trying to at least to a country. You're you're actually at least trying to get someone out of Russia. It, It it adds like a humanitarian aspect to his mission and again he was able to push back on vladimir putin and so if anyone thinks he's uh that was not a softball type of interview i don't think now in fact quite the opposite because putin put tucker carlson in his place multiple times just flexing on him i think you know is this a serious conversation or not like he flexed on him that way uh he he did the whole you wanted to be a part of the CIA thing. And maybe in Russian, that wouldn't have been, that would not have come off as insulting, but in English, it definitely came off as him kind of patronizing Tucker Carlson. And you didn't hear him laugh in his normal chuckle about that. So I I don't think, I don't think uh, Tucker gave him the softball that a lot of people anticipated happening. Like that was much more substantive, but it's mostly because Tucker did 
much less talking than Putin did in that interview. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm down for the history lecture. You know, I might not agree with everything that's in it, but what I watch on YouTube is a lot of history content. So, I, I it was just like that for me. And I, I thought Tucker Carlson got like checked a couple times. And he wasn't expecting that. So. But if you want to look at a real example of Christian nationalism, you know, it's not Vladimir Putin. I think Viktor Orban is a much better example. And maybe Bukele in El Salvador yeah, is a much better example. Yeah. You don't need to respect human rights to make your country better. Just lock up. <laughs> Just all arrest the a bunch of gangsters. Face tattoo, you're gone. And your then line them up in their gone. underwear in a human centipede formation or whatever you want to call that. Like the dude reduced crime like a boss. Just goes to show you if you have power, you wield it. And you know. So and then he gave the glory to God for for that. So you you love to see that. Uh, I don't really want to do a whole Spanish read out loud a Spanish uh, video of that, but so we won't. I don't have much for meme review tonight. Oh, I will say, uh, since someone just made a Saddam Hussein comment, the so one thing that stood out to me is basically Putin talked about how America weaponized the U.S. dollar and that would be its downfall, and that's kind of what the whole BRICS. The sanctions were disastrous. Yes, but it's kind of like, okay, you've done the sanctions game for the last time, and that's kind of his his message. But yeah, America's weaponized the dollar. Any any nation that has tried to get away from the petrodollar has sub surprisingly lost its regime within a matter of years. And I think that's Libya and Saddam Hussein was the other one that tried to essentially get away from the petrodollar. And you know Russia's off the petrodollar now because they the killed bricks. it. Or they yeah, they probably killed put the, the petrodollar on it. And you know we're not willing to go to war with Russia or depose Putin. Well, maybe we try to a crappy coup with the guy that got blown up in an airplane. But other than that, Putin basically just said, "Yeah, you you weaponized the U.S. dollar for the last time." So I'm going to give a last call for questions, but uh, we do got one meme to review i'm gonna pull it up uh so this one i liked it does relate to the he gets his campaign but so i gotta pull it up so here we go here's our meme for review it's about he gets us uh, it's Kevin in the office. I don't remember this office episode or exactly what the context is in the office. That's episode. not a, that's not the dinner party. Uh, I don't think Kevin wasn't at the dinner party. No. Uh, and Michael Scott's not in the frame and Oscar wasn't there either. Uh, maybe it's like a funeral or something. Wasn't there an episode where they got together to watch a TV show? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. But the meme reads, thank you for the Super Bowl ad about Jesus. And also you suck at bringing the good news. And he gets us is like, I beg your pardon. And Kevin continues, you're like a terrible Christian organization. These people need the gospel, but you're just opening a conversation. 
again, the foot washing was very cool. I mean, that's a Kevin thing to say, at least at the end. I'm not sure I'd give it. I mean, I might give this a five. I don't think it, it really. Really? Obscure meme template. That I, I don't like. know. That, yes, it's the obscure meme template. I mean, I like that. I, I like that they brought it back. Uh, and then the foot washing part being very cool with Kevin's face like that. I absolutely love this meme. Eight out of ten for me. Uh, it's from Matthew Tuck on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if he's a sub or not. So. I, I really like this meme. So, again, the foot washing was very cool. <laughs> Just speaks to the fact that a lot of Americans have a foot fetish. Now, again, there is a Bible verse about feet. Nothing about big butts. Nothing, nothing, sir, mix a lot. So, take it. You read. Okay. So, I see the comment. I read it in Kevin's voice. Me too. I also read that in Kevin's voice. So, no, I mean, with Kevin on The Office, there's like really two things that stand out. It's the, uh, obviously it's the chili being spilled on the floor. And then it's the, you're going to like, Ch you would like Chael. What? No, what about a uh, second episode, Diversity Day? Oh, oh my God. I think gosh. you do. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm a woman. No, that was, no, that no. was white. No, but he's still, you know, I think you want to get, do you want oh, to get I'm, Yeah, the hot, yeah, the diversity cards. No, I think you do, Mon. <laughs> uh, good moments in or the Or maybe office. when he pretends and, and to be. Again, what the office did right is they came out swinging on politically in, incorrect com comedy while they figured out their character dynamics. And it worked out really well for seven seasons. <laughs> so. Uh, Josh says, I think the ad will bring a lot of progressives to the Mennonite communities. They love them some foot washings. And again, I don't think people love foot... the people that would like foot washing as much. I don't think are going to be going to church. So I don't think you really reach that the, the foot fetish target audience with that ad. So bold strategy to target, you know, create spend $30 million or whatever targeting rex ryan people uh bold strategy so anyway um that's pretty much all we got for tonight uh again if you like this content subscribe to the channel or podcast if you're new we have a patreon like system and let me tell you upcoming book winning that win some 10 commandments of spiritual warfare some new material i haven't done any evergreen videos on this but i've kind of incorporated a lot of what i did write into what i do because it's underlying content so to speak so it'll be your base book of the year, hopefully, if that's a real award or a category. But that's it's it's about spiritual warfare and which is everywhere. So uh, I definitely uh, do that. Otherwise, uh, hit us up on all the socials. Have a blessed night and we will catch you on the next one.